Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of Generation Jihad. I'm Tom Jocelyn, and I'm joined, as always, by Bill Rogio, my colleague. Bill? Hi, everyone. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the Russian bounty story. If you've been following the news, you know that this is the these are the reports that began the New York Times that the Russians have offered bounties to the Taliban to kill and maim American soldiers in Afghanistan. Bill and I are going to give a give a, give you guys our skeptical take on that story and some of our thoughts on it. And we're also going to talk about the Taliban's reaction to a piece that was put up at Long War Journal, the website, by Caleb Weiss, who's a grad student who writes for us. Uh, we think there's a lot of interesting details surrounding that story just because of the reaction to it and, and sort of how basic the facts are and how the Taliban is so desperate to deny the presence of any foreign jihadis in Afghanistan. Uh, before we start with the substantive conversation, I'd like to give you sort of a little preview of where things are going. Um, as you guys know, we started this podcast earlier this year. We were late adopters of the podcast format. Bill and I, uh, as we've discussed many times through the year, stink at marketing ourselves, right? You, you agree with that, Bill, right? I, I might be the world's worst self-marketer on the, you know, yeah, we're terrible. Yeah, I don't I don't like self-promotion. I mean, everybody has to do it. I mean, it's all sort of the, the, I mean, the bullshit game that everybody plays is promoting your stuff. You know, everybody gets on Twitter and says, oh, look at what I wrote today. And I, I've just sort of had a hard time doing that, even that much uh, all along. Um, but, you know, everybody, you know, is into self-promotion and marketing, and we've been, we've really stunk at it for a long time. But with the podcast, we'd like to, we wanted to give you guys a different sense of sort of where, you know, sort of our behind the scenes look at how we're thinking about the stories of the day and what's going on. We're putting a lot of effort into trying to expand the podcast going forward. And doing that, what we want to do is we also want to sort of provide some marketing, aha, for what we're doing. And so, um, Bill and Phil Hegseth, who's working with us on the podcast, have been talking about different types of merchandise that we're gonna uh, try. Yep, that we're gonna try and do with some uh, donations. Now, to give you a, a sense of how bad we are at marketing, Bill and I—I I, I was trying to think back through this. Bill, I think we started talking about doing merchandise at Long War Journal what in two thousand nine. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. And here we are in twenty twenty. You know, I mean, the Afghan war's still going, but we don't have any merchandise. You know, so uh, you know that sort of shows how how uh, ridiculous we are at all this. Uh, ridiculously bad at it. Um, but okay, so we're going to do that. We're going to have some merchandise. We're also going to set up a, a place for you guys to donate. We basically we are going to ask for donations to um, pay for different contributors, pay for different expenses for hosting the podcast and some of the behind the scenes stuff. Also for some translation work that we're doing. We've got some interesting analyses coming of stuff that's been recently translated. Um, you know, sort of just to basically keep the uh, lights on and keep it going. Uh, we're very thankful to the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and all the support we've gotten from Cliff May, our boss, and Mark Dubowitz and others there through the years. Um, but we are ultimately uh, beholden to donors uh, for to keep us going. And so we're going to ask for some donations to keep this podcast going and keep some of the other work that we're doing going and hopefully expand in some ways. Right, Bill? Yep, we'd love to. There's more we'd love to do. What Tom's talking about on the translations, we've run across some fascinating things. We're still working through the Bin Laden files. There's just a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and unfortunately, some of it requires money. Yeah, and we've, we're, we're, we want to move forward with the translations of what Al-Qaeda is saying in Urdu. You know, we don't have any Urdu capacity along with journal. We do have Arabic, but we're not, not Urdu. And so we have, we found, uh, you know, I put a, a tweet out uh, a couple weeks ago now, I think, asking for any Urdu translators. We found some some guys that are doing this stuff. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, one of the things that Bill and I have come across through the years is that um, the U.S. Um, government, sort of writ large, 
has been very interested in anything, or at times, not all the time, but at times has been interested in anything written by, in Arabic by Al-Qaeda, but has sort of ignored the fact that Al-Qaeda is not just an Arabic institution, has been writing in multiple languages, and of course so is Islamic State, uh, you know, the, the, the spinoff from Al-Qaeda that, that mushroomed into its own so-called caliphate. They, they produce material in multiple different languages, but we're very interested in what Al-Qaeda is saying in Urdu because they're revealing all sorts of details about what's going on in Afghanistan and Pakistan that you probably haven't heard of. Um, stuff that we were generally aware of, but you know we're getting more detail. And so translating that stuff, look, we want to pay for some translators to do that. We found a couple, and so that's part of what we want to do to to help raise money. But that's just one of many things we're looking at, right, Bill? Yep, yep, that's right. And you know, look, the the bias the, that if it's in Arabic, it's interesting, and if it's Urdu, that that it's not. These are, you know, the U.S. government should be very interested in what Al Qaeda has to say in languages like Urdu, and yet. These sto- these stories aren't being the, the Al Qaeda's magazines aren't being translated because if it's Urdu then it's not interesting and it just makes no sense and yeah that's what they, these are the barriers that we want we run into and that we're looking to uh, to break down and that's going to come with your support. You know there also was this you know we've also run into this numerous times through the years of people think of Al Qaeda as a an Arabic institution as you know because run founded by Arabs run by Arabs. And that, I mean, yes, absolutely, it's a, it's a, a fundamentally, foundationally, it was an Arabic institution, Arabic organization. Um, but, you know, the idea that it's solely Arabic and that only Arabs in Afghanistan could possibly be Al-Qaeda, it's just really a, a phony assumption, a faulty assumption. I mean, it, you know, you can you can see, we've been tracking this for a long time, you can see that al is producing a lot of material in Urdu and other languages, Pashto. Um, you know, basically out of the region and to discount that and pretend that that's not Al-Qaeda because it's not in Arabic, which is what some do, is just wrong. Yeah, it's absolutely wrong. Al-Qaeda has leaned heavily on people from Afghanistan and Pakistan, particularly Urdu speakers, Pashto speakers, to to add to that deep bench that it has for its leadership. And look, Al-Qaeda is able to get away with hiding its... Um, operations in Afghanistan merely by publishing its statements on of what it's doing in Urdu and just not having them in Arabic or in in English. And we just think that's a, it's just an important part of the story that needs to be told. And, and it's, it's just astounding to us that this information isn't getting out there. Yeah. And this is a good example too, of why we stink at marketing. As you see, this started with just sort of a cursory sort of overview of what we're going to ask for money. And we end up in a nerdy <laughs> conversation about the, the flaws in Al-Qaeda analysis. So this is this is the way things go. But let's get on to the uh, the Russian bounty story. You know, we're recording this on, let me look up the data. During the pandemic, I've been terrible at keeping track on the, the data. July 10th, Tom, I got yeah, you. July 10th. All right, thanks. Um, you know, so it's July 10th. We're recording this. It's gonna be record. It's gonna be released in a few days. Um, this week, there have been a few hearings on the Hill, delving into the Russian bounty story. Um, the Russian bounty story was first reported by the New York Times on June 26th, and the report was that basically the GRU, the Military Intelligence Unit, uh, you know, the Kremlin outfit. I'm sorry, branch of the Kremlin, uh, a unit of the GRU. Um, basically had offered to pay bounties to the Taliban to target Americans in Afghanistan. And Bill and I read the report, and we've been sort of digging into this and talking to people and doing our own thinking and research on it. Um, and we're sort of skeptical from this this perspective, I think. And Bill, obviously, you're going to fill in anything I leave out here in the sort of overview. We're skeptical from the perspective of, you know, first of all, does the Taliban need Russian bounties to hunt Americans in Afghanistan? Uh, no, you know, I mean, that's what they've been doing since 
2001, since they were ejected from Afghanistan in 2001. I don't know why the, the Taliban would need extra incentive or extra pay to do that. Um, two, I think, um, you know, when you look at the reporting, it's not even clear who within the Taliban was allegedly offered these bounties. Was it the Taliban itself or was it uh, sort of criminal elements associated with the Taliban? That's a, a weird angle to it because, you know, obviously there are multiple actors in, in Afghanistan um, that could be could be offered this. And why does that matter? Well, I think that bleeds into number three, which is that so far as we're, you know, a couple of weeks in the reporting on this, and we'll update things as, they, as the information is updated, we're a couple of weeks into this and nobody can point to any specific attacks that were paid for by the Russians. There was, there's one attack that's been mentioned, which is the April 2019 bombing outside of Bagram. Uh, Bill and I are going to get into that. It's outside Bagram, right, Bill? I think that's the one I wrote. Yes, it was. Yeah, yes, that's yeah, correct. Right. So we're, we'll talk a little bit about that attack and why that doesn't look to us like a bounty-funded operation, but who knows? I mean, obviously, Russian cash, Russians could have paid cash behind the scenes. Then the fourth thing is, you know, Russia certainly is a nefarious actor. It's an anti-American actor. They have all sorts of incentives to target the Americans in Afghanistan. I don't doubt that this is something that was sort of in, in the bloodstream or in, in sort of the intelligence reporting to some degree. Um but, you know, there are all sorts of bad actors in Afghanistan. And when it comes to the Taliban in particular, um, its sponsors are, you know, chiefly Pakistan. And then the Iranians have played a role. And then Bill and I are going to walk through different Gulf states who have offered their soil for fun- for a fundraising apparatus for the Taliban through the years. Um, so, you know, it, it's sort of interesting to watch how Russia, anything Russia related gets front page, you know, gets a front page splash and, be- and leads to congressional hearings and everything else. Whereas these other angles of the story have sort of taken a back seat. And that sort of, I think, has to do more with our domestic political framing than it does with the actual uh, reality of what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, is there anything else on the summary, Bill, before we dive in that you would, you would add to that? No, Tom, I think that sums it up just about right. All right. So let's let's get into it a little bit. So the first thing is let's talk about, you know, the Taliban and whether or not they need Russian bounties to incentivize uh, sort of their men to go out and attack Americans. I mean, they've been waging war in Afghanistan um, since they were ejected from power in 2001. Um, you know, Afghanistan is an incredibly violent place. You're talking about, you know, I think some of the reporting that came out for just the fourth quarter of 2019, you're talking about thousands of attacks uh, over a period of three months since the American Taliban withdrawal deal was signed on February 29th. Taliban has claimed hundreds of attacks in that period and is suspect as really the reporting indicates they've launched thousands of attacks. And basically, when you look at this, you know, they're saying the Russians sort of had to provide a bounty to to, uh, Taliban fighters to come get Americans to come attack Americans. And I just don't I I don't see I mean, certainly that's possible. I think I think it's it's, you know, I don't doubt that the Russians may have offered this in some regard. Every, all the reporting seems to suggest there's something to the reporting, even though there's some dissent within the intelligence community on exactly what it means. But, I mean, Bill, the Taliban doesn't need Russian money to attack Americans, right? No, they don't. I mean, the reality is, is they've been attacking Americans in Afghanistan since 2001. Um, if the Russians were adding to this... Um, you know, when did this when when did the supposed bounties start? Um, who, as you said, which groups were were contacted? So the reporting a- says it may have started as early as 2017, 2018, but then the only example that I've seen is from is, tw- specific examples, right. April 2019, which we're going to talk about. You know, I mean, look, I mean, the thing is, look, has Russia supply supplied the Taliban with light arms and other support and sort of hosted them diplomatically in a series of 
sort of uh, sessions that were meant to counter America's diplomatic efforts and American power and the Afghan government's legitimacy. Yeah, Moscow did all that for sure. I don't I don't have any doubt of that. And I don't have any doubt they're supplying some arms and other things. And I don't really doubt that they would offer bounties or somebody in the GRU could offer bounties. I don't really have any reason to, to, to doubt that in itself. But I just the sort of the the motive here or the necessity of it is what I sort of question yeah. from the get go. Yeah, it's not like the Taliban wouldn't be targeting America's if the Russians weren't offering bounties. Their website over over the past two decades, while well, the URL for Voice of Jihad has changed quite a bit, it celebrates every time it kills or injures an American soldier in one of its its attacks. So if these bounties started in 2017 or 2018 or 2019, it doesn't fundamentally change anything on the ground. That's the, the key point here. It's the Taliban were going to up until that that withdrawal deal was signed on February 29th of this year. The Taliban were going to attack U.S. servicemen in Afghanistan with or without bounties. But uh, the thing the thing is, when you when you look at when you look back through the whole the whole history here, too, you know, I was talking to a reporter about I was like, you know, why is this? You know, why is the April 2019 attack? Let's let's segue to that part of it. So sure, this, this is an attack in April 2019 outside of Bagram, you and I were talking about this when this attack surfaced as sort of the, the suspected operation that was founded, uh, funded by Russian bounties. Um, all right, look, so we, we covered that operation at the time, that attack at the time. Three Americans were killed. Uh, several other people were wounded. Um, you know, you, you look at it, the Taliban quickly claimed it, claimed responsibility for it, um, you know, through all their official channels, you know, their, their um, you know, cut out spokesman on Twitter immediately had a tweet celebrating this quote unquote martyr for the cause. Um, you know, and this is another interesting thing about that. So there are a couple different aspects of this that are interesting. First of all, the Taliban immediately claimed it, which doesn't strike me as consistent with a bounty operation, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, if it were a criminal element being funded by the Russians to conduct it, you know, why would the Taliban be claiming it through its hierarchy, through its official media apparatus, right? They don't claim credit for attacks that they don't do. I, I've yet to detect that from the Taliban. That's not to say that's not possible, but there's reasons for that. Some of them are, are religious because everything is, you know, all these attacks are based on fatwas. And some of it is like the people that conduct operations in these areas are going to know. And it, it's, it creates all kinds of problems for the Taliban to claim credit for attack that it did not do. Yeah. And so, I mean, the thing is, so, you know, they could, you know, Russians could have you know, funded the Taliban directly to carry on attack. But again, why is that any different with the Taliban's been doing all along? So you look at Bagram. So you and I have been covering the attacks in and around Bagram for, you know, a long time now. There's so many attacks. I mean, going back to, there was a suicide bomber in 2007 that, that hit uh, Bagram looking to try and kill Vice President Cheney or attack while he was there. Sure. There's been all sorts of other operations. There's, there, was, there was a suicide bombing right in or near Bagram in December of 2019, you know, months after this one that was supposedly... Uh, uh, funded by the Russian bounties, and and they they also launch their rockets or missiles at Bagram routinely. I mean, there's just just really dozens and dozens of attacks by the Taliban at this target through the years. So the target is not a new target for the Taliban, right? They do this thing all the time, and then it was a suicide bombing, which is an interesting thing. The Taliban claimed it was a suicide bombing. I didn't see anything in the initial reporting about this, whether it be the New York Times, Associated Press, by officials recognizing it was a suicide bombing which I think is a little curious because this a suicide bombing obviously brings an ideological dimension to it. 
Yeah, somebody could, you know, need cash for their family. The family of the quote-unquote martyr could want money after a suicide bombing. We know the jihadi groups do that. They pay their the martyrs' families, suicide bombers' families. But um, you know, Taliban has plenty of cash of its own to pay. They don't they don't need Russian bounty, bounties to do that. So I think that's an interesting angle of this too. I mean, right? I mean, Bill, talk a little bit about how the Taliban celebrates martyrdom and suicide attacks. I mean, this is a core part of their ideology and their operations. Yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, the 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 suicide bomber that's considered as well as those who conduct those what we call a suicide assault where they'll storm a building and they know they're going to die they're held in the highest esteem um the taliban promote them in in their videos and in photographs and on voice of jihad they'll write stories about them they're they're upheld as making the ultimate sacrifice for um within you know they they they're the example for all the Taliban and any sympathizer to follow, it's it's Mullahabatullah Akhundzada, the current Emir of the Taliban. His son conducted a suicide attack in Helmand and was praised for doing for doing that. That's how committed the Taliban are to this tactic, um, and they they use it and they use it very effectively in Afghanistan. You know, I mean, yeah, Akhundzada sacrificed his son in a suicide bombing, but we're supposed to believe he's going to compromise uh, for on behalf of his organization and merge his outfit into a, some sort of democratically elected government in Afghanistan, although the Taliban strenuously denies that democracy has any religious legitimacy whatsoever um, and is constantly critiquing this as a Western import that is of the infidels and illegitimate, you know, so... I mean, it's one of the sort of many incongruities in the, the talks of the Taliban, which we've criticized, is that this idea that Habatul Akhundzada is going to let his son go out and blow himself up, but yet he's going to sort of come to the peace table in a meaningful way and, and sort of and really compromise in a fundamental way on his um, religious sort of commitments and ideology. It just, I just don't see it. Uh, I don't, I know you don't either, Bill. No, look, and the Taliban said this in 2016, and it's repeated this. Um, it said this is the own Taliban. I'm paraphrasing, but their own words. They're not making uh, these sacrifices, waging decades of jihad for, and this is a direct quote, silly ministerial post. The Tal- that's the Taliban telling you they're not going to join a government. They want the Islamic Emirate. Look, we've been down that road numerous times on this podcast and at the Long War Journal so many times that Tom and I are sick of writing about it, to be honest with you. But that's the established fact of that. But Bill, but Bill, do you, you mean to tell me that Akhundzada is not going to be the minister for health in a new Afghan government, or the head of border security, or the, uh, the he's not going to he's not going to be the head of foreign affairs or something like that for a new Afghan government? You don't think Akhundzada is willing to play that game? I I, uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. I just uh, do not do not hold your breath for that one. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm not holding my breath either. Um, we, you'd be passed out if you were trying to play yeah. that game over and over again. Yeah. Um, so in any event, so, you know, I, I was talking to reporters about this and I, I said, you know, I asked the question, why is it this April 2019 attack um, is the one that's suspected of being um, funded by Russian bounties when you can point to this whole series of other attacks in or near Bagram through the years? I still haven't gotten an answer as to why this attack in particular is suspected. I mean, there could be specific intelligence, of course, you know, that's saying that there's a reason to. But one reporter said to me, well, you know, Americans were killed. I just thought, well, come on, you know, I mean, it, it's not like the, like the Taliban hasn't killed Americans in other operations in 2019 and before. I mean, of course they have, you know. Um, you know, it was in September 
of last year, of course, uh, President Trump temporarily call, suspended the, the quote-unquote talks, the negotiations, I'm going to say quote-unquote peace talks, again, withdrawal talks, with the Taliban in September of last year when the Taliban claimed responsibility for suicide bombing in Kabul that killed an American. Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. Look, I'm, I believe last year was the highest number of American soldiers killed in Afghanistan uh, since about somewhere around 2012 or 13, if I recall. I'd have to I'd have to go back and check that. But it was a very high year. So, like, again, why this particular attack? Look, General McKenzie himself, uh, the who is the head of CENTCOM, U.S. Central Command, uh, he said that he's not seeing any evidence that a single attack has been linked to the Taliban. So I, I just wondering why, you know, you're right. I mean, why pull out this specific attack? All we're known is we're just told that this, this is one of those attacks, but we're not given any specific evidence on this. And I, I just find that to be very curious. Well, again, now we'll adjust our views if evidence comes to light. Of course, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but we just don't have any right now. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, Mackenzie's comments immediately, I, I immediately was texting friends and emailing that around because he used a phrase that was similar to something I used. And so this is self-serving and pointing this out, but so what? Um, you know, he said that he hadn't seen a causative link between mm-hmm. the Russian bounties being offered and operations. I had previously written something. I have this newsletter now at the Dispatch, this new publication run by our friend Steve Hayes um, called Vital Interests. And I cover China and Russia and all these other different topics. But of course, I can't get away from the jihadi stuff. And I did a newsletter last week about several days before McKenzie's comments. And I said, what's missing here is the chain of causality. And so it was a similar phrase to what McKenzie used. He used causative link. I used chain of causality. That's sort of what's missing here, right, is that we don't really know, you know, how these alleged Russian bounties actually had any kind of operational impact. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's astounding. But yes, uh, go ahead, Tom. Now, some would say, well, that doesn't really matter. The fact of the bounties being offered is what matters. And I, you know, some friends of mine have said that. And I would say, look, if I were a policymaker or charge or the president, which is, of course, never going to happen, but if I were in any sort of one, any one of those roles, um, you know, and I got any kind of intelligence or my people underneath me got any kind of intelligence coming from any any quarter of threatening Americans, I'd, I'd take that as a, a top priority. You know, I'd want to I want to lock it down as quickly as possible what's going on. Um, and that's sort of what's going on here is this is sort of a political argument to say that's framed within the Russia-Trump uh, Russia Trump narrative to say that uh, Trump dropped the ball on this and his administration dropped the ball on this. Um, but, you know, when you can't show any casualties, then what did they really drop the ball on? You know, what did, what did, they, what did they fail to stop? And, you know, when you look at it, too, you know, one of the th- stories I think is curious, and this isn't a defense of Trump. You know my views on him and, and his administration. Um, uh, there's plenty of stuff to critique there, and we have been critical. Um, but you know, when you when you look at the whole picture and you look at everything that's going on here, um, the idea that you know Russia is stands out as sort of the prime bad actor in the front page news. That's sort of what I think. You know, kind of. Uh, drew your skepticism and criticism right away, Bill, because, you know, we've been covering this for so many years, and the idea that Russia commands so much attention when you and I know very well, and the U.S. government knows very well, that the prime, you know, sponsor of the Taliban is Pakistan, our, our punitive ally. You know, why don't you go off on Pakistan for a little bit, Bill? And yeah, exactly. And, and again, this is how I knew this was a political story, first and foremost. It, it It's... If they cared so much about American journalists and politicians, cared so much about bounties being offered by Russia and yet can't link a single attack to to this whole thing, then 
you know, where's the outrage over Pakistan and its support for the Taliban over the years? You've had three successive administrations provide billions upon billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars per year to the Tal- to to, pa- to Pakistan, obviously. Um, while Pakistan was directly responsible for the death of every American soldier killed in a Taliban attack inside Afghanistan. Obviously, the Islamic State also was targeted and killed Americans, so we can't blame that on Pakistan. Although I would say that they, by them permitting the Taliban to survive, it allowed the Islamic State to rise. Look, every, yeah, I, would say, I would say ISIS grew out of the, the Pakistani milieu, you know. In, in yeah, part, exactly, you know, exactly. Yeah, sort of permissive environment. I mean, you know, we we don't have to go into uh, we did a whole episode on Pakistan support for the Taliban. It's oh, we're safe gonna do it. we're gonna do it we're gonna do it again we're gonna do it again. Yeah. We, can't, we can't have get away to. From it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This stuff is a, like a virus; it just doesn't leave. Um, you know, look, it billions upon billions of money to Pakistan while it sponsors the, the killing of American soldiers. Pac- the Taliban leaders. And fighters live in Pakistan. So do their families. They receive medical care. They receive training. There's Taliban madrasas all over the place, and particularly in Balochistan uh, province, and as well as what used to be the Northwest Frontier province. You have recruiting centers. Uh, you know, I could just go on and on with Pakistan. The, the Taliban would be a shell of itself without the Pakistani support. So if journalists and and politicians really cared about American soldiers dying in Afghanistan, they would have been screaming about Pakistan time and time again, every year, every time an American was killed, that would be the story of why do we continue to support Pakistan when it supports the Taliban, which kills American soldiers. And yet they're silent on this issue. And yet they're supportive of signing a withdrawal deal with the Taliban. So, yeah, I, I just again, you know, it's Russia plus Trump equals a great story. And like Tom, you know, look, Trump's foreign policy is is a nightmare. I mean, it's it's. It's as bad, and with the signing of the deal with the Taliban, I would say worse than the the, the Obama administrations. Yeah, you said so, to me, Bill. You said to me in a text and some other things too that you know the big scandal here really that should be covered is what's actually in this deal and how bad this deal is with yeah. the U.S. and the Taliban. Why isn't that the? If you want to show Trump's weakness, why not use yeah. that as an example? Because because there is this sort of, and I I am somewhat sympathetic to it. There is a, sort of an anti-war sentiment in a lot of the reporting. People just sort of want out of Afghanistan, so they're just willing to look the other way. I kind of understand that to an extent. But even so, as you and I have said from the beginning, you can want out of Afghanistan without endorsing this this absolution and this sort of uh, complete endorsement of the Taliban as our de facto counterterrorism partner, which is, you know, there's been some reporting, uh, skeptical, skeptical reporting on that, including in the New York Times. Um, but overall, it, it isn't the scandal that it, you would think it would be. You know, Russia seems to immediately eclipse everything. Anytime Russia's thrown into a story, it immediately eclipses eclipse all other reporting. Yeah, it, it, again, that's that's how we know it's political. I mean, let's let's look at the Iran um in and its activities inside Afghanistan. Iran, we know pr- provides training camps, cash to the Taliban, safe haven for Taliban. Now, it's nowhere near the extent of what what Af- uh the I'm sorry, what Pakistan support for the Taliban, but it's certainly far greater than the the extent uh, that the Russians provide. There's narcotics going through between the IRGC and the Taliban. We've seen designations on that. 
President Obama signs a nuclear deal with Iran and provides billions of dollars of cash on pallets um, done around the, um, without the knowledge of, of Congress. And, all, oh, and by the way, Iran is responsible for the, the murder of a, over 600 U.S. soldiers inside of Iraq by its sponsorship of the Shia militias. And, and guess also, what, also, folks, also offer also offer bounties to the Taliban as well for in, in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah that's a, that. that's it. Yeah. yeah, folks, did you all know that in two, a news report came out in 2010 that the Iran was paying bounties for American soldiers in, in inside Afghanistan? Well, you didn't, and the press didn't make a big stink out of this and talk about how can the President Obama be um, signing a deal with Iran because. Iran is responsible for putting bounties on American soldiers. But, you know, one thing here, we can directly link Iran to the death of over 600 American soldiers inside of Iraq. I mean, we can't link a single attack inside of Afghanistan to Russia. But I can point out multiple attacks where Americans were killed or maimed by the uh, Iranian-produced EFPs or explosive uh, those explosive penetrators. So again, it's an, another way I know that this is a political story because if you start digging this up on Iran, well, then you must be some warmongering neocon or something like that because you're you're pointing out Iran's ties, you know, ties to Shia militias and the support of the Taliban, and you know, the natural conclusion I guess is that we need to go to a war with Iran. I would argue we should probably finish the wars that we're do- doing oh so badly in before starting a new one. Um, yeah, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but, you know, those are, you know, you want to look at real state sponsorship of terrorism and bounties and, and support for the Taliban and support for murdering American troops. Look no further than Pakistan and Iran. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Iranian stuff too, by the way, I mean, that was recognized in a series of terrorist designations um, and other official statements by the Obama administration and then the Trump administration. And these designations go through an interagency process to make sure the intelligence is um, basically bulletproof or as close to bulletproof as can be in the intelligence world. Um, and will stand up in a court of law. Um, and, you know, that's not the case with the intelligence on the Russian bounties to the Taliban. As you can see, there's some skepticism from the National Security Agency and others as to what exactly happened here. You can see from McKen- General McKenzie at CENTCOM and other officials have said, you know, we can't even prove the causal link here. Um, so it's not it's not nearly as strong, I should say, that the, the case against the Russian Russians for the bounties are nearly as strong. But let me back up for one second and say this. None of this is an apology for Putin or Russia, right? I, Absolutely I, not. No way. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, listen, if I were a policymaker and this intelligence came across my desk, even if I, if it was really, um, uh, I would say, even if it was really sketchy and murky and you couldn't really nail it down, I'd be very concerned about it right away. And I'd want to know more and I'd want to make sure Americans are protected and that, you know, there's, this isn't going on. The problem is, it's just the, the, the lens and framing around it in the, the context of the Afghan war, you know, the sort of this idea that this story pops in ways that other stories, which are more meaningful and more problematic and have a deeper history to them, don't. Um, and sort of certain stories like Pakistan and Iran and what they're doing, that's sort of become just sort of white noise now to the American public and to journalists, I think, overall, and to the media and to policymakers to a large extent, when something like this becomes supposedly the signal we're all supposed to pay attention to. 
Um, and that's where I think you and I are, are sort of skeptical about this, right, Bill? That's where we're coming from, is that this is not this is not the end-all, be-all of the war in Afghanistan story. I mean, you know, here's another point about it. One of the things I've seen speculated is this was leaked to keep American troops in Afghanistan. You know, that basically, uh, I guess the theory is that withdrawing now after showing the Russians are trying to chase us out, that this would somehow show weakness, and so therefore Trump is going to, you know, face pressure to stay in. I... I don't doubt that maybe some officials, I have no reason to doubt, I should say, that some officials may think that way, or some people may think that way, but you and I don't see why this story would keep America in Afghanistan. I mean, this is not exactly, the logic of it doesn't, even though I can see that some people may think that, I don't think the logic holds up to it. There's no real logic to saying, you know, the Russians are trying to kill Americans in Afghanistan, so let's keep them there another 20 years. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it just... yeah. I've heard people argue that this is just yet another reason why we should withdraw from Afghanistan. And I'd be willing to bet that that's what President Trump, Trump reportedly himself, thinks. President, yeah, yeah, President Trump reportedly himself, that was his reaction. Let's just get out, you know? Uh, yeah. So, you know, why keep him there to be targeted by the Russians, you know? Um, now, President Trump is, of course, very, he has a bizarre thing, not just with Putin, but with other dictators as well uh, and other tyrants. I mean, he's very, you know, he's been very deferential to um you know she and in china he's been um you know very uh, you know willing to laud and praise erdogan and turkey and kim and north korea and he sort of has this sort of uh, a weird affinity for strongmen and doesn't doesn't seem to really um appreciate or care that they are bad actors and oftentimes who sponsor anti-american activities um, and basically that they don't really stand for anything America stands for. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go to war with all these guys. Absolutely not. But, but you know, you should be a little more critical, a little, little less uh, willing to sort of um, play nice with these guys when they really are not going to play nice with us. And so this brings me to another point here. One of the things, sort of one of the stories that was built on top of the story, I'm seeing a couple different places now. I think Just Security had a report on this and then some others, was that basically Trump was encouraging the CIA to provide uh, intelligence to the Russians, even after this bounty story on counterterrorism in the counterterrorism realm, and that the U.S. got nothing back in return. I don't doubt that the that this was a one way street. I mean, I, that sounds right to me. The Russians probably don't provide us with any good intelligence or very little, right, Bill? I think they probably are not looking to help us at all. Um, no, look, I I think there's certainly animosity from the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan you know, during the, you know, the Soviet occupation and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that the, I definitely think the Russians love to see the United States stew um, in its failure in Afghanistan, without a doubt. So, yeah, I would I would certainly believe that the Russians would not provide us with intelligence or if they did provide anything, it would be useless. Yeah. And yeah, but the one thing I would add to those stories that we're seeing reported is that um, it's not true that there's nothing to worry about or no intelligence issues here or terrorism issues here to be concerned with. I mean, Al-Qaeda or Al-Qaeda-affiliated groups um, and ISIS have both launched attacks in Russia, in Chechnya, in Dagestan. Um, you know, one of the things that President Trump, people have forgotten this already, and probably because it's President Trump, but he, you know, he was quick to claim credit for providing the Russians with intelligence that stymied an attack in St. Petersburg in the last couple of years. Um, we know that uh, Al-Qaeda affiliated groups have been targeting St. Petersburg. They've also claimed operations in Moscow and St. Petersburg through the years. There is a constant stream of threats there or, or a stream of real terrorism threats there that are, are concerning. And that's not a defense of Putin or the, the Russian security establishment to point that out. 
you know, but there is a jihadi threat to Moscow, and there is some overlap between that threat and the threats to us. Um, that doesn't make Moscow a full-fledged counterterrorism partner for the U.S. or anything of the sort, um, for a whole host of other reasons. But there is there is an intelligence overlap or component there in the counterterrorism realm, right, Bill? I mean, this goes back to you know, you were covering. I was thinking I was thinking about this before we got on the show, and I didn't prep you for this, so we're just going to do this, you know, sort of extemporaneously. Um, you know. Talk a little bit about your coverage of Chechnya through the years, right? And there was always this sort of pushback from some people that basically portrayed the Chechen Jihad as just sort of Putin's machinations and a function of Putin. And it took away agency from these jihadis in Chechnya who were originally um, sponsored and funded by bin Laden, ironically enough, uh, from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, by the way. Um, yeah. you know, and there was always an Al Qaeda angle to that, but there was always this, this, this idea that they were going to sort of dismiss it as just sort of Putin's sort of machinations as opposed to a real story there. Right, Bill? Yeah. So the common, um, narrative was that the Russians were just making up what was happening in Chechnya and beyond, um, Dag- other country, other, uh, Dagestan and other territories as well. But the the reality is is um, because the with the the Russians they what what these people wanted to say is oh they're all just you know Chechen rebel groups we see this in Syria right I mean to attempt to disconnect the dots well yeah there were Chechen rebel groups who were secular and whatnot but there also were jihadists there I mean look Zawahiri is reported to have been inside Chechnya. Um, well, that, that, that story led to a conspiracy theory that he was released by Moscow and then became right. under his control, right? I mean, that's that's where this goes. This goes to these sort of conspiracy theories. Yeah. That basically, Putin is the—it's the same thing we see with the Assad-ISIS conspiracy theory that Assad is secretly manipulating and controlling ISIS. I mean, these are all gross distortions of reality by ideologues usually, but go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, and so—but look, the Islamic Caucus Emirates, which seems to be defunct now, was— basically an al-Qaeda branch. I mean, it, it genuflected to the leadership. Al-Qaeda certainly had nice things to say about it. Uh, we well, let me, add one thing, one, let me add one thing that the extent to which it was an al-Qaeda branch was really, I think, I mean, there's a whole dossier that you can do before the rise of ISIS, but when ISIS yeah. rose and decided to build its own sort of caucus province, um, you know, it became very clear how much the Islamic Caucus Emirate was in the Al Qaeda branch because yeah. Al Qaeda's global network ran to the Islamic Caucus Emirate's defense. You know, Absolutely. now through, through a series of of uh, high value targeting by Moscow or taking out leaders of Islamic Caucus Emirate and the ISIS challenge. That's why I think it's defunct, as you're saying, or, or yeah. at least yeah, at least it's at least it's been suppressed into the shadows and maybe it'll pop up again one day. But you know. Yeah. I haven't seen them put a claim in operation or anything like that in quite some time. But, the, you know, look, the reality is, is these guys were intimately linked. You'd have Chechen commanders who were part of the Islamic Caucus Emirates pop up in Afghanistan. And then as the jihad went on in Syria, you had entire you had the Islamic Caucus Emirates, uh, a branch inside Syria that was closely allied with a key ally with Al Qaeda. Um, there. So, yeah, but you know, this narrative, it, it's just, as you said, it, it took away agency from jihadists there. But the reality is, is they were quite an active, they had a quite active uh, presence there and were not just conducting attacks in 
Dagestan and, and Chechnya and, and Naborokovarak and other other areas. But they were conducting attacks inside of Moscow and St. Petersburg. As you remember, they hit the Moscow subway and all, all they had the, they had the Black attacks. Widows, or the, the Black yeah. Widows, right? The, the, these were the widows of the suicide bombers or others who died or were killed for fighting for the Islamic Caucus Emirate, you know? So, I mean, they had that whole thing. By the way, I should inject this point here. In a previous episode, you were... Uh, mentioning your admiration for the Islamic Caucus Emirates merch. <laughs> and again, they had merch, but we don't. So uh, yeah. as of yet. So Phil, uh, you can help us please rectify the situation. But but here's the one thing, Phil. I'm well, ask Tom, you. I'm, I think well, we should Phil, definitely but, have... No, no, no. You're not, you're, not, you're not getting your way. You're not getting your Islamic Caucus Emirate-inspired <laughs> merchandise. We're not doing that. So Phil, <laughs> we, whatever you do, whatever you do... We can't have a leopard-spotted no, Generation no. Jihad mug or something like no. that. Phil, whatever you do, whatever Bill sends you, you have to send to me. And if it looks, if you Google the image and it looks anything like the Islamic Caucus Emirates stuff, it's immediately nixed. I'm, I'm vetoing it right away. Okay, that's, that's the bottom line. So we do not have any, there's nothing with like the little mountain scroll on it or anything like that, you know, or the, 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 the leopard skin or the big puffy hats and stuff. We're not doing any of that, you know. So. You're just hating on the jihadi cool, Tom. I'm sorry. Well, uh, you can define it as jihadi cool, uh, but we're not we're not going to go down that road. But in any event, you know, one of the things that's funny about that too is that, you know, one of the arguments was the Islamic Caucus Emirate was just an, and and the Chechen jihadists were just national jihadists, and you see that argument even after they pop up in Syria and fighting Assad, you know, in Syria, you know. Now I get, there is a Russian angle to that because Russia's sponsoring Assad, of course, and is is the main sponsor for the barbarity and the genocide in Syria, um, but. Um, you know, that, that wasn't purely tied to the Russia's efforts that they were there. They were there before that. And you had, you had guys, um, you know, who also were folded up into ISIS operations. We previously talked about Abu Omar al-Shashani, who was the sort of Georgian Chechen fighter, um, you know, was trained by the military in Georgia. I think was even trained by U.S. Special Forces there and sort of a program and then becomes one of the chief military commanders for ISIS, um, you know, but he was also, but he was Islamic Caucus Emirates and you right, know, and then Syria defected before doing that, yeah, right, right. and then def- and then defected and became a big ISIS guy. You know, um, you know th- the idea that these are all sort of just national sort of you know fighters, nationalist fighters who aren't invested in the jihadi ideology. I mean, it's just bunk. I mean, there's just so many different examples of why that's wrong. You know, um, that doesn't again excuse anything Putin does or justification for Putin. But you got to be able to say sometimes the enemy of my enemy is just our just our enemy. You know, it's not our friend you know um and that, that's just the way the, the world works um but you know we also talked a little bit about when we were prepping for the show you know the other states that have sort of dabbled in sponsoring the taliban through the years you know of course qatar was very keen to open the political office in doha for the taliban and has had a permissive uh, fundraising uh, environment for the taliban and uh, al-qaeda and other jihadis through the years i think there was reporting from pro qatar sources but still I don't think it's wrong that, that the UAE was even trying to compete for the Taliban office at one point before it was open, the political office. So even though the UAE and, and, and Qatar are sort of rivals now, they were basically competing to ho- openly host the Taliban. Um, Saudi Arabia, we know, has popped up as a fundraising network for opportunity for the Haqqanis and other Taliban groups um, that they haven't been necessarily as vigilant as they should have been in, in cracking down that stuff and of course there's a whole historical narrative there um that sort of hasn't been solved going back to the 1980s but bill that the bottom line is right you have all these different players who are involved in this this nastiness in afghanistan it isn't like russia is the only thing that stands out yeah right and, and and i think it's key to understand sort of what i call the 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 hierarchy of the 
state support for uh, the Taliban, and certainly Pakistan tops the list. And by several degrees of magnitude, um, over, over the next guy, which would be Iran, right? And we uh, we discussed why for, um, previously. Then I'd probably argue that uh, Qatar would be next, given that they've you know hosted the political office, they've allowed the Taliban to fundraise there, to recruit there. Um, senior Taliban figures live there. Remember the Bo Bar- the Bo Bergdahl deal, where he was the American soldier who was. Uh, uh, traded for the the notorious Taliban Five. Where did they go? They went to Qatar. Um, then you know in Saudi Arabia they allow there's well there's the it's not more direct state sponsorship with the Saudis more of a look the other way type uh, of sponsorship. Yeah, and I mean it's basically it, it, permissive for fundraising is permissive. Yeah, we exactly. don't we don't, have, we don't have anything we don't have anything linking Saudis to operations in Afghanistan or anything like that. Right. And there's and you can look at the 9/11 Commission report and other sources and there was a falling out between Saudi Arabia and the Taliban at times over the issue of Bin Laden and Al Qaeda being in Afghanistan. So there are there is real tensions there too. Um, but you know the bottom line is Saudi Arabia has provided you know a, a permissive operating environment at times for Taliban fundraisers. Yep. And look, so if I'm to look at Russia in this hierarchy, I probably put it somewhere between. Uh, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And by the way, we have, what, uh, a, a large U.S. naval base and a U.S. Central Command is based out of Qatar, right? Where's the outrage over that? We signed billion-dollar deals, multi-billion-dollar deals with Saudi Arabia for uh, weapons, and Saudi Arabia, U.S. provides uh, support and, and basically uh, is this the Saudis' gar- security guarantee in the Gulf, again, primarily against Iran. Where's the outrage over this in the media? Why are these, why why Russia and not these four countries? Yeah, well, we know why, because Russia, yeah. Russia, Russia, you know? I mean, it's just the, this is the defining era. I mean, I go, you go back through the whole thing, you know, I, again, this isn't a defense of President Trump or the Trumpists, and, you know, you have some of these reflexive you know, people out there who defend him, right? Um, and some of the things he's said and done when it comes to Putin and Russia are sort of disturbing to me, of course, you know, sort of too, too full of praise at times. But, you know, if you look back at the reporting, in my view, um, you know, it was definitely overinflated. I mean, the idea that, you know, you had you had big time reporters arguing he was Putin's apprentice, you know, and that he was sort of, you know, yeah, implement, right. you know he was some sort of agent of the Kremlin and all sorts of allegations about funding and everything else now i mean if there's real evidence for anything hey you know I'll, I'll, i'm willing to entertain or change my mind at any point in time based on real evidence but you know this this whole thing was just overblown in my view um you know and some of what was done on on the russia stuff um that doesn't mean that there wasn't some bad stuff there with wikileaks and other aspects of the story i think there was um, i'm certainly always sensitive to any kind of foreign influence or foreign interference i'm always quick to want to reject that and fight back um, but it, you know the idea that he was the stooge of Putin. I think he's more. Uh, I think it's it's his own peculiar worldview and foreign approach to foreign affairs and his willingness to sort of, um, you know, bow down before a lot of different different dictators and praise them is sort of what's most disturbing to me. And look, you want to you want to talk about subservience? Look at the Taliban U.S. withdrawal deal on February 29th. It doesn't get much more servile than that, does it? You know, it doesn't, no, it doesn't. doesn't. And you know, and again, I'm going to go back to Iran. You want to look at subservience to a a, a regime. What did the Obama the what Obama did by negotiating with Iran and cut, and cutting that nuclear deal? That's horrific. That's bad foreign policy. Again, 
no outrage over that. So that you know, to me, my whole complaint about this is the lack of proportionality and the lack of perspective. And they they really made a mountain out of a molehill here. If you want to complain about the murder, and look, I I, I hope I'm, I don't sound overly animated here, but we're talking about the death of American soldiers here, and that. I, I take that personally. It upsets me. You know, these are my brothers and sisters that, that the Taliban is killing and that states are sponsoring. And so when you take an issue that really has no real, you know, we're, we can't there's no there, there. A single attack. So far, yeah, right. so far, there's no there there. Right. So yeah. Far. Right. And, and you elevate that while putting, ignoring basically all of these very real problems that are ongoing to this day. Yeah, I'm going to get pissed off. I don't know. I think that covers the Russian bounty issue. Is there anything else you want to add? I think to it? so. I'm going to leave no, it on the I, pissed I, off going. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, All right, I think so, that's a that's an appropriate ending. Yeah. So speaking of the Taliban, because we can't get away from this. So um, just this last week, a couple of days before we recorded this, Caleb Weiss, who is a grad student, has been writing for us for several years, and he follows all these jihadis on social media with us and works with us on this stuff. He um, did a simple write up of uh, Katiba Imam Abukari. Katiba. Imam al-Bukhari, this sort of Imam al-Bukhari battalion, this sort of Uzbek group that spun off from the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan. Their emir in Syria posted these photos claiming that um, this joint raid with the Taliban where the Imam al-Bukhari's guys um, had jointly participated in this operation to capture Afghans with the Taliban. And so, you know, Caleb wrote up a very simple article saying, you know, here's what they're claiming, here's what they say. And the Taliban could not contain itself, right? On Twitter, their their, their social media account, which is disturbingly well followed, um, their guy Zabullah Mujahid, who's really probably several people who operate under that name, but the the spokesman for the Taliban quickly said, "This is you know propaganda by anti peace circles, uh, you know, to basically to, to thwart peace efforts or something like that." Um, and this was stolen from our archive, which, wow, you know, I mean, I, I got to give Caleb credit. I mean, he must be one hell of a computer hacker we didn't know about that he can dip into the Taliban's archives yeah. and pull out photos like that. In reality, of course, it wasn't stolen from any archive. It was on Telegram. Caleb subsequently wrote up the, Tal- the Taliban's ridiculous denial, um, showing a screenshot of where it came from, came from this Telegram feed for this, this emir for the Imam al-Bukhari outfit in Syria. And... You know, but it just struck me again. A couple of things struck me about this bill. One is how sensitive the Taliban is to any just basic observations about foreign jihadis in Afghanistan. There's no real dispute over the fact that these guys, these Uzbeks, are there. I mean, you got the UN, U.S. sources, um, their own propaganda, their own statements prior to the, the these recent talks with the U.S. You know, the Taliban never challenged any of the claims by Imam al-Bukhari. It's only in the context now, really, of the February 29th withdrawal deal that they're just desperate to say, oh, these are anti-peace circles. And you had a funny observation, though, about, about that bill, claiming that we're part of the anti-peace circles when they just committed a suicide bombing the other day, right? I mean, who's anti-peace yeah, right. here? You know? <laughs> you know? right? I, I mean, mean, it is astounding, right? They're, they're continuing their attacks. And look, nobody would be more happy to see peace in Afghanistan than you and I, because we'd love to stop reporting about it. But the reality is the reality. And this, the Taliban, look, I think, believe you, Caleb, and I were texting the, the night that he did that. And we predicted that the Taliban would respond. Oh, it was us. obvious. It was obvious. Yeah, they, of course they would. And it, he knew that too, writing it up, which is great. We're going to have Caleb yeah. on the show sometime in the future. He can talk about his uh, career writing for us at Lone World Journal. And we got some, we got some funny, this is yet another funny episode of all this. But he and I, you know, last year he and I reported on, it was a similar piece 
Uh, and the Turkestan Islamic Party, the Uyghur outfit um, in Afghanistan, was claiming operations and publishing photos. And the Taliban did the same thing. You know, oh, you know, this is, you know, put up by the anti-peace crowd and everything else. It's like, no, it wasn't. It was put up by the Turkestan Islamic Party, your long-running ally who is beholden to Abdullah Akhundzada and fights in the Taliban's ranks in Afghanistan. This didn't come from Long War Journal. The Imam Bukhari stuff didn't come from Long War Journal. The Turkestan Islamic Party stuff didn't come from Long War Journal. We're just simply saying what they're saying, reporting on what they're saying, you know? And they quickly denied that they were there. But, you know, here this leads me to the other aspect of this bill, which is why this, you and I think this is really a lost war effort. Why in the hell is it left to a, a grad student to report on what's on Telegram about foreign jihadis in Afghanistan to, to spark this. I mean, yes, this is our specialty. This is what we do, right? Okay, fine. But then nobody pushes back on this other than us. So where's so the Taliban immediately springs into its counter-messaging, which is all filled with lies, to basically say these guys aren't there and this is all put up by the anti-peace crowd. Where's the State Department calling out the Taliban for the lies? Where's the Defense Department calling out the Taliban for the lies? Where's the information aspect of the warfare of all this, right? It isn't there. It's non-existent. You have a, you have a, a grad student and us, you know, a couple of guys in the Northeast Corridor here of, of the United States, you know, just saying what's on Telegram. And the U.S. government is so uninvested in this war effort and trying to counter the Taliban's disinformation that nobody else says anything about it. Right, Bill? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I bet you this is it because it exposes uncomfortable truths, right? The Taliban is still dealing with foreign fighters, and but that would mean they'd be reneging on that withdrawal deal where the Taliban's not supposed to be sponsoring these guys and allowing them to be conducting attacks. Um, so yeah, I'm sure, wait, I'm, sure, I'm sure Zalmay Kulazad's all over this, right, Bill? He's got. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I, he's holding their feet to the fire on this one, and all the other yeah. and all the other examples they they, they claim Al Qaeda's not in Afghanistan. I'm sure Zal's right on top of it, aren't you, Zal? You know. Yep. No, I'm sure he is. I mean, you know, I'm sure he's very concerned that the Taliban's calling out a, a couple of Americans and calling us liars for reporting what is essentially the truth. And speaking of the issue of liars. Well, it's reporting, so, reporting what the jihadis and the Taliban's own allies are saying. So, you know, putting, <laughs> exactly. aside, whether, putting aside whether it's the truth or not, this isn't originating with us. That's the whole funny part about all this, you know? <laughs> that, right. You know? So they have, th this is a point that I made when they denied that Al Qaeda was operating in, inside Afghanistan. They're basically calling all of their allies liars because these this their, their allies are, you know, probably a little bit of problems with message control here. The Taliban doesn't want to advertise these ties because it, it, it causes issues. So the and, and then to deal with that, they basically have to say, Al Qaeda, you're lying. You're not in Afghanistan. Uh, Iman al-Barkhari, even though you're a mere published this, um, you're a liar. And you know, Turkestan Islamic Party, you're a liar as well. That's well, what that's, the Taliban that's, is doing. That's, that's, that's well, that, wait, that's the implicit allegation, right? It's not explicit. It's explicit, they're calling us the yes. liars. They're calling us the right. They're not. They're not actually saying that about their own allies. But the point you're making is, if anybody's lying here, Bub Zabahula, if anybody's lying here, it's your own allies, not us, right? Your own yeah. allies are the ones that are lying, not us. You know. Um, so that's that's the point is that they're not actually. You know, drawing the iron. Now, now Caleb subsequently saw that the Imam al Bukhari guys took down the the one guy took this down off a of telegram uh, throughout all this. It shows how they wanted to cover it up. And of course, the original photos had the had their branding on it and everything else. And the Taliban released Zabaullah's account, released what's the so called original version of the photo, which is funny because if it is the original version of the photo, and I have no reason to doubt that it is. 
they've sort of inadvertently just confirmed that they've been working with him on Obagari, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, so, you know, I mean, <laughs> I found that I, hilarious. I mean, you know, okay, you know, here's the original. Well, thanks, Taliban. You know, now we got the original. It just shows that you know the Imamabukari has their version with their their watermarks all over it and their 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 writing all over it. Now you're just releasing the original for us. You're just confirming the two of you are in cahoots. And by the way, I haven't seen you do anything to actually distance yourself from these Uzbeks uh, in, in Afghanistan. Quite quite the contrary. Uh, but that's why that's why this is so. You know, I saw some of the social media reaction. There's, there's some, uh, you know, the people on. I mean, listen, when I say these people are idiots, they really are idiots. I mean, there are people on social media, and Phil, you can leave this in this time. Uh, you know, there are people on social media who are idiots. I mean, this is just the way it is, the nature of the beast. And you can see these people, you know, saying, "Oh, long war journal," you know, uh, you know, trying to report, you know, for war or whatever. You know, I just, you know, trying to advocate for war or something like that, or we're lying to to say this, right? It's so funny. It's so ridiculous because. Do you think, Bill, that anybody in America wants to stay in Afghanistan to fight the Imam al-Bukhari battalion? You think anybody even knows what that is or even cares? You know, no. That's what's so funny about the Taliban's reaction to all this, right? They, you know, the fact the fact of the matter is that if Caleb had wrote this up and they never said a word, it would have just disappeared into the ether and nobody would have cared. It would have been picked up in some official report somewhere probably, you know, as a footnote to say, oh yeah, by the way, the Taliban is uh, still working with these guys and, you know, they haven't really broke with them at all. But if the, the Taliban, this is one of those cases where, you know, their, their public relations department needs a little lesson in corporate spin that you get here in the U.S., right? It's better to ignore stuff, right, when it's inconvenient than to actually blow it up. And I mean, you know, it's fine. I shouldn't say that because I love the fact that they lie in response to our reporting. Yes. But it's just so funny because, I mean, it's so ridiculous that anybody would, yeah, this is this is the card we're going to play, Bill. We're going we're gonna to count on Imam, Imam al-Bakari, but the Imam al-Bakari battalion to keep the war going. Yeah, right, you know. You know, the Taliban really needs to learn the lesson of not punching down. And let's face it, you know, we're not running an insurgency with 100,000 troops, with a sophisticated media department publishing dozens of reports of attacks and, and, uh, you know, videos and photographs and all that. But yet the Taliban feels a need to punch down with us, and it's not the first time. And uh, I find that quite amusing. Well, I wouldn't say um, punch down. I wouldn't say punch down. I'm guess, talking in uh, terms of yeah, reach and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably right. Yeah, no, I guess in that. I mean, the, the bottom line is we're the only ones who are actually reporting on this stuff, you yeah. know, in any yeah. in any systematic way. Which is again, I think, is evidence of a lost war effort, right? I mean, nobody even is even questioning stuff. I mean, you have Secretary of State Mike Pompeo goes out there and he says, you know, I've seen evidence that the Taliban is working to destroy Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. I mean, that's an incredible thing to say. He said that just a couple of weeks ago. You know, release the evidence or give us some examples of what you show or let's see some evidence of that, you know, because that would be the greatest betrayal in the jihadi world of all time. And yet we haven't seen any evidence of that. But he says that and there's some mild skepticism in the press. But beyond that, nothing. Right. But then Russia come in this Russia bounty story commands multiple <laughs> hearings and, you know, front page news. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's totally out really? of perspective. Right. You're absolutely right, Tom. I mean, if the Taliban is going up against Al Qaeda, don't you think? If I was a congressman, I'd want to know that, right? I mean, I once, even if it was a behind the scenes uh, classified hearing, I, you know, that's real yeah. news, right? I would love yeah, to report yeah. on that. The Taliban's actually betraying Al Qaeda. Wow. Then that that is a, that is an incredible diplomatic accomplishment, which the Trump administration and Pompeo should take, and Zalmay Kalozad should take credit for. However. If you're making it up or you're grossly exaggerating some fragmentary piece of intelligence, which is what I suspect, then you're just lying on behalf of the Taliban, right? And where, what is the incentive for that? That's certainly not necessary to get out of Afghanistan. Wait, blowing up a fragmentary piece of intelligence? 
That's interesting. Where could, Where's yeah? Where could yeah. that possibly be in in play? Could that possibly have something to do with the Russian bounty story? I think so. Yeah. But you know, I, I want to make one, one more point about that that whole thing. I am just tired of this leaky, leaky nature of intelligence. Because if there was anything to this story, once it's blown up like this, it becomes extremely difficult to prosecute the leads on this, and this just dripping of intelligence for political purposes this this needs to stop this is it's it's very concerning um this is the kind of things that every american i don't care what your political affiliation should be concerned about if this happened under the obama administration i'd be disgusted if it happened under the bush administration i'd be disgusted and under the trump administration you should be disgusted too this is not how our intelligence services should work this is it, it, using intelligence for nefarious political purposes is just flat out wrong and it should be illegal and people should be prosecuted for this well what i would say is you know if there was um i don't want to justify leaking but if there was a there there that you could show something that was at, there was a willful blindness by president trump and his administration to intelligence that was threatening americans and was leading to american deaths I wouldn't have nearly the problem I have with it being leaked to the, the press, right? If there's something you can show a real impact. The problem is that when you pick this piece of intelligence, the select piece of intelligence, which is fragmentary, as you've said, Bill, and doesn't have any causal link to anything else and is sort of just a minor part of the picture in Afghanistan at this point compared to the broad picture of what we're seeing, then there's an obvious sort of political, politicized dynamic in play here. And that's what's problematic about this, you know, um, because it, it and it, because it doesn't everything is being sort of viewed through that Russia Trump lens as opposed to sort of the real Afghan war lens and what's really going on. Yep, Tom, you as always, you say it far better than I can. I don't know. I've got, we've gotten some complaints, by the way. I talk too fast. I've seen that. Yes, I do talk too fast. So I, and the other, the other we'll thing, have to slow it down. I can't, I can't. I'm a fast talking New Yorker, and I drink too much coffee before we do this. I've already had three cups, and I'm, I'm drinking the high octane stuff too. So you know, I do talk. So too Tom, fast. we got to get you drinking out of those um, leopard skin. If you, I swear, generation to God, Bill, if you, if you keep, I'm telling you, keep, you, man, you keep bringing up this Islamic Caucus of Emirate merch, I'm going to lose my mind because we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> so it's not going to happen. All right. And, I, and quite frankly, after all these years, my friend, I find it disturbing that you still like this. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, by the way. So one other one other person online said we uh, complain a lot during the podcast. He liked the podcast, but we complain a lot. I don't know. I think we do complain a lot at times. Um, but, you know, we're also critiquing what we're going on. We see a lot of failed efforts here. And I think criticism and skepticism are sort of necessary to cover all this stuff. Even when we even when we agree with something, there's there are reasons to be skeptical or critical of what's going on. Um, we do sort of complain, though, at times, for sure, because we see some some fundamental failures here, right, Bill? That that's that's what that's what bothers us, bothers you and me, is to see this sort of just total incompetence at times. You know, I mean, we just yeah, had... I mean, go ahead, sorry. No, no, that that is the problem. I mean, it's it's this this war is lost, and I'm not talking just about Afghanistan. And it's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to see. Um, look, Tom and I are no stranger to 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 optimism. When General Petraeus was trying to put together the surge back in 2006, Tom and I were among the people that you could fit in a phone booth who supported it and saw that there was, you know, that there could be positive outcomes to this. So, and I think there were until the, until the legs were cut out from under it. So, you know, if we see something good, we're going to talk about it, but we see a lot of problems and, you know, I don't view it as complaining. I just think it's, 
we're just talking about the the reality of the situation and the reality is is that things look pretty damn bad right now you know and look you know i'll just leave this this thought on this one point just last week we had sarah carlson on who was a wonderful guest and i'm really proud of that podcast just because i think her story is fascinating and it's a great she has a great book out there but you should go get um she's a former cia officer she came to the same conclusion we did she doesn't believe in america's ability to lead in all these places right she didn't believe american leadership let her down let her down and let her cia colleagues down in libya you know in a different theater and yeah you you couldn't have had a more optimistic willing servant to the american public than sarah and you know um again everyone should read her book uh, in the dark of war and and it broke her and and it's very sad to see and um, well, I think it broke her faith in American. Her, her faith her. in yeah. yes, yeah. in our ability to wage war. She's certainly a, a fantastic person. I'm, I'm talking specifically in terms of you know, again, in our in, in faith in our our leadership and our ability to, to fight these wars. And um, you know, look, that's that's what what Tom and I see in, in abundance. And you know, if we didn't call it like like we see it, you know, what are we here for? Yeah, and that's and that's why you know, we bring up the point that we're the ones left talking about the Taliban's lies when it comes to Al Qaeda or the Imam Al Bukhari Battalion or other groups, Turkestan's Long Party in Afghanistan. Nobody in American leadership is calling them out on that. Certainly not the State Department. So uh, you know that if that's not a failure of leadership, I don't know what it is. But I think we will leave it on that cheery note for this week. As again, as I say, warning people all the time, if you're turning this podcast to be, if your spirit's uplifted, you're turning into the wrong place, right? We're, we're here to we're here to talk about some dark issues and jihadism and terrorism and what's going on. We'll try and bring a little humor to it, but it's uh, these are not cheery stories. So I'll leave, I'll, I think we'll leave it on that note. Sounds good, Tom. All right. So Thank you to our audience again for listening to this week's episode of Generation Jihad. Please do subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your shows. In the future, we are going to have some merch that will not be inspired by Caucus Jihadists. And we are going to also uh, ask for some donations. And we're gonna, we'll do that in future episodes. And we hope you guys will uh, show us some support, show us some love. But until that time, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>